morning. Welcome to Bethesda Church this morning. Um, if you wanted to get a little heads up, you can turn to Psalm 39 in your Bibles. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, my name is Anthony Lind. I'm the youth pastor here at Bethesda. And as um, Brad mentioned in his prayer, uh, Pastor Aaron and his family are on vacation for the next couple weeks. And so um, we get to hear from a few different uh, people in the to last week, this week, and next week as well. So, like I said, we're in Psalm 39. We're continuing um, our kind of summer in the Psalms. We will finish it up in a couple weeks. I got, we've got 39 this week, 40 next week, 41 on August 6th, and then we get our 80th anniversary service um, in mid-August. So, um, we might be back next summer. I was thinking, I was looking at Psalm 46, at a verse in Psalm 46 while I studied and was thinking, well, you'll get to that next summer, I guess. So even though it's not that far away in your Psalms, but um, I'm going to read Psalm 39 this morning for us, and then uh, we'll explain a little bit. So Psalm 39, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind's stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of, a, of the fool. Verse 9, I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and be no more. <clears throat> uh, the amazing thing, uh, I was thinking as we were singing and worshiping with, uh, through song this morning, um, I know where I'm going, and so I get to see the truth of what I'm going to say in every single song in Brad's prayer, um, and what a tremendous blessing uh, that is. But uh, it's, just, uh, it's just good to see, I was even thinking too, I could almost just take the songs that Lorena chose this morning and use the lyrics to probably pre preach through uh, Psalm 39. Uh, but Psalm 39 is, is a little different uh, than than your, your typical, maybe favorite psalm that you've heard before. Uh, it would be classified as a psalm of lament. And if you haven't heard that before, um, a lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Okay, so this is not necessarily the, 
the happy-go-lucky psalm, um, but that passionate expression of, of a hard time that David is going through. And we know that David wrote this psalm, and we know that he wrote it for use in corporate worship in the temple, right? It says kind of that at the beginning before all the verses. He wrote it to uh, Jeduthun, who was um, part of the temple worship. So this is an individual who is writing about ex- expressing his grief and sorrow, and it's, but it's meant to be used in a setting like this, together to help us express um, grief and sorrow as well. And so uh, I wanted to give you... Uh, in Trimper Longman, um, Pastor Aaron gave me a book, uh, How to Read the Psalms, that he's used and has been helpful. And he gives, uh, Trimper Longman in that book, he gives seven different elements of a lament psalm. So if you see these things, more than likely the psalm that you're reading, you're reading can be classified as a lament. And so I wanted to give you, go through these real quick, and then I'm going to read it again so that maybe you can kind of see and understand a little bit better. But the first thing is just an invocation. Um, he's summoning God, right? This psalm doesn't necessarily open up that way, but a lot do. Um, psalm 12, verse 1, opens up and says, Save, O Lord, right? That's the beginning, uh, beginning words of Psalm 12. Um, there's, there's a plea to God for help. Um, and as, uh, even though there's seven of these, they're not always all mentioned, they're not always all present in a lament psalm, and they're not in this specific order. So I'm sorry for those of you that like things uh, neat and orderly, but usually most of these things are present um, in some form or fashion. So there's, there's a plea to God for help. Um, sometimes there's complaints, uh, complaining to God about a certain situation or uh, situation of the nation of Israel. There's confession of sin, which we're going to see a lot of that in Psalm 39. Or if it's a different type of lament, there's a assertion of innocence. Like he's innocent and there's things that have been that are being done to him or to the psalmist, the writer, and he's asserting his innocence in the midst of that hard situation. Sometimes there's a curse of enemies. Uh, we're not, we don't really not sure what to do with that sometimes. Um, there's confidence in God's response. And then most of the time they end with a hymn or a blessing, kind of a praise, just a couple short uh, stanzas of praise to God. So I'm, like I said, I want you to leave, I'm going to leave that up there um, and I'm going to read back through Psalm 39 again. But one of the things that kind of hit me this week that kind of blew my mind is that if this is meant to be a part of Israel's public worship, then lament, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, is worship. Okay? Worship does not just have to be praise, good things, Right? That passionate expression of grief or sorrow can be worship. So I'm going to read through it again. I encourage you to maybe look for some of these things. Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know that how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. 
Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I'm spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. So our goal this morning is to learn from lament so that either in the midst of hard times, kind of like Lorena mentioned this morning, or when they come, we have some help and some hope. There's some things that I think we can learn. Um, So in verses 1 to 3, we see uh, what I'm going to call the silent stuffing, right? Remember, not the stuffing that you eat on Thanksgiving, a different kind of stuffing. Um, But remember that this is a Psalm David writing to God, right? So even though he's explaining his situation, what brings him to write this in verses 1 through 3, he's still explaining it to God. He's verbalizing or describing his situation and his emotions to God. And I read one commentary um, that said that lament psalms often don't get specific into the situations. Like Wes had a specific kind of historical situation to tie to his psalm last week, uh, whereas lament psalms often are not specific situations so that they can be applied to various situations in life, right? Even though David is dealing with um, his sin and the consequences of his sin, these emotions, these things that he's feeling, um, the things that he's struggling through can be applied to other similar hard situations, right? Um, Maybe it's the consequences of your sin. Maybe it's the consequences of someone else's sin, either against you or someone you love, right? You You can kind of see these same things. Maybe it's the result of evil in the world, right? Something you're suffering for your faith. Uh, Maybe it's the grief of losing a loved one. All of that, all of those different hard situations can easily be kind of put yourself in the shoes and be be expressed in this similar way. Um, And David was even concerned there in verse 1, he's even concerned that his present situation, the hard thing that he's going through, he's even concerned that it might lead him to say something either to God or about God in the presence of the wicked or the unbelievers that is wrong, right? That's sin, right? He's even so concerned. He's like, he's at a point where it, he's so frustrated. He's so exasperated that he's, he, he realizes what I, what's going to come out of my mouth could potentially be wrong, right? I could say something about God that's not right. I could get angry at God, um, or I could say something to somebody else that is not right, And that's kind of where he's at, right? And like I said, this is uh, the silent stuffing because verse 2 to 3, right? Let's acknowledge uh, that these verses really tell the story of a stuffer, right? And and maybe I was thinking too, it's not the sausage stuffer that maybe some of you use um, to to put put, as you process things, but um, somebody who holds in things, right? The story of a stuffer. Um, He's holding in his words. He's denying or ignoring the emotions within him. He's possibly even denying the questions that are going through his head, 
right? Um, he, what is God doing? How is he, uh, what, is, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? Uh, why would God allow this? Why did I sin like that? Um, if you can easily put yourselves in David's shoes and see, like acknowledge these things, um, then probably like me, you're probably somebody who stuffs things and doesn't is, finds a struggle to let them out. A stuffer is someone who internalizes everything, um, doesn't let their emotions be known. And honestly, I think if you're really honest with yourself, every single person, whether this is your normal state or not your normal state, there can be a situation in life that is so difficult that brings you to this point, right? Even if you're that person who wears your emotions on your sleeve, is easily verbally processes things, you can get to a point, unfortunately, that when life is just so hard that you become, it's just, you can't, you don't understand it. You don't, you can't get it out. And while there is some wisdom in being silent, right? Proverbs talks about that. Um, a fool is wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Um, and even Jesus was silent before his accusers. Uh, when we get to this point, it's not healthy. I think that's kind of even what David is acknowledging. Um, and uh, it's hard sometimes what, what David wants us to do and what he's showing is that when we get to this point in a hard situation, he does want us to bring it to God. God wants us to bring it to him. Sometimes some of us get there sooner than other people, right? For you, it might take a couple minutes. For me, it might take several days, maybe a month, maybe longer. Um, but I think we can all recognize that sometimes when we get to this point, what we want to do is get to verses four through six. But before we move on to those next verses, right? He, David reached his boiling point before we get to where he goes with it. Um, I think we need to pause and acknowledge uh, a, a good point of application here. Um, God is not afraid of or too small for the hard things and the emotions and the pain that you're going through, right? no matter what it is. Um, God is not afraid of it, and he's not too small to handle it. And that's an amen to that for sure, right? When life is exhausting, when you're exasperated, when you're depleted, you're confused, when you're full of anguish, uh, whatever it may be, we can bring all of that to God. That's what David is showing us. He says, you can, you can dump that on God. God can handle it. And it's okay not to be okay, right? Even I was thinking, it's okay not to be okay on a Sunday morning, too. That's the hardest place to not be okay, if we want to be honest, right? And because when we're going through hard things and everybody else seems to be things great, life's great on a Sunday morning, um, it's hard to be honest with God and with ourselves and with those around us as well. So maybe you're here this morning, you're struggling with hard things of life. Uh, let me encourage you that God knows. He hears your pain. He knows your pain. The hardship, the grief, the doubt, uh, maybe the suicidal thoughts that some people have had. He knows all of that and he wants you to bring that to him. He wants that. That's what he wants. Um, and I can say, I can be honest and say, I'm a stuffer, right? Um, I, I know what this feels like and I know where it goes. Um, I'm not good at identifying, much less sharing my emotions, right? Now you know why Rhonda is such a patient person. Um, but, and I can say from my own experience, when there was a crisis in my family um, about five years ago, I, a year, I stuffed it for a year, okay? I'm not joking, a whole 
year, 12 months. Um, and I can identify with how this feels in verses two to three. Um, but that's not where God wants us to stay. He wants us to bring that to him and, and be able to move into the next part. Verses four through six show us that David moves from that silent stuffing to a plea for wisdom. And what he wants and what he's looking for, what he's asking God in verse four is he's asking for an eternal perspective on life, really, right? He says, make me know my end. What is the measure of the days? Let me know how fleeting I am. He's looking for that eternal perspective to know um, who God is and who he is. And I was trying to figure out why would he go there from that situation? Like why go from I can't handle this to I need an eternal perspective. And I think, um, I think maybe it's not necessarily just a plea for God to reveal some new truth to him, but just a reminder, God. Like, God, I, I need the reminder that this life is short. What I'm going through is not going to last forever. And I need to know that you are God, that you are eternal, that there's, there's something better out there. And I think that's why he kind of moves from the plea for wisdom in verse four to really speaking truth in verses five and six. And it, it might be truth that was revealed to him, right? A lot of times um, I've found in my life when I get to a, a situation where things are hard um, and I, I lay that at God's feet, a lot of times that's where God reveals truth to us, right? Whether it's from his word, um, sometimes he might bring a song lyric into my head, things like that. That's, that's a good time for God to, to teach us when we get to that point. Um, so whether that's what David, that God did for David here, or maybe it's just a reminder, right? Like, I've, I know this. I've heard this probably 50 times. I just need, God just needs to remind me of this right now in this, in this situation. Um, so he, he speaks the truth of, of that eternal perspective. Um, he says, you made my, my days a few handbreadths, if you didn't know. Like, just, it's short. The shortest, one of the shortest measurements they had in ancient times. Um, my life is nothing. Like, it's just this, it almost feels excessive how far he goes in verses five and six, at least to me. And you're kind of wondering, okay, like, I get it, right? Like, life's short. That's not, like, what's physical is not important. Like, I kind of get it. But how easy, as I was thinking in my own life, how easy, how often do I, do I forget this, right? How often do I, do I live? Um, how often do I become greedy and try to keep things for myself? How often do I, in order to escape the reality of a hard situation, waste my time on things that are meaningless? Um, how often, uh, when hard times come, do I try to power through and do things on my own power, my own strength, my own wisdom, instead of realizing um, that I can't, right? Um, so David is just, just giving us that sure reminder that life is short. Uh, and we need to have that eternal perspective of who God is and who we are in respect to God. Um, and so maybe in our hard times, when life is confusing, we don't, and life just doesn't make sense, we don't need an answer to our why question. Why, God? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? Maybe we need an answer to our who questions. Who is God? Who am I? Right? If I have those two things in perspective and I get those two things right, um, I think that makes the hard things that we have to go through um, a lot more, a lot easier to deal with. 
So David seeks that eternal and proper perspective from God, and it leads him to the next step in his journey of lament in verses 7 and 8. Um, And 7 and 8 are short but powerful. Kind of, he starts off, basically he's saying, he's seeking salvation, but he starts off like, and now Lord, what do I wait for? What's the meaning? Like, what's the purpose in all of these things that I'm going through? But he quickly shifts from that what question to proclaiming the truth, my hope is in you, right? And to proclaim that, to say my hope is in you, it takes an attitude of surrender and acknowledgement, right? You can't say my hope is in God if you haven't been willing to get to that point of, okay, God, I can't do this. I can't get through this. Um, I need you, right? I acknowledge that you are the God and I am not, Right, so that he, he surrenders and acknowledges that God is the only hope he has. And then in verse 8, he goes to a prayer for forgiveness. Deliver me from my transgressions. Um, he, he, he acknowledges his sin. He asks for forgiveness. Acknowledging that God is the only one who can save him. And then verse 8b, I think, is, was a little um, difficult for me to f- understand at first. But he says, do not make me the scorn of the fool. And at first, that kind of comes across as selfish, like he's worried about his own reputation. Um, but then, as I was studying some more, and it, uh, I was reminded of Moses' prayer in the wilderness in Deuteronomy 9, uh, verses 25 to 29. Uh, David's not concerned about his re- reputation in verse 8. He's concerned about God's reputation. Um, just like uh, when God was saying he was frustrated with the nation of Israel as they're going through the wilderness and trying to get to the promised land, and he's ready to just be done with them. And, and Moses prays in Deuteronomy 9, 25, he says, So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights, because the Lord said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness." Whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people, or their wickedness, or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to the point to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. So he's not concerned about himself. He's concerned about the, God's reputation in the midst of unbelievers. Because it's, it's honestly, it's, that's the easiest time for unbelievers to question God and to mock God, right? When they see a Christian struggling through a hard time and they wrongly assume that, well, if God's all-powerful, then why doesn't he just make life easy? Why doesn't he just deliver you from that? Why doesn't he just... Why do, you, why do you have to go through that if you believe in that kind of God, right? They don't understand, um, much like Job's wife, right? Job's wife said, curse God and die. She misunderstood what was going on. But David's earnest and desperate plea to God in verses 4 through 6 for wisdom result in confession of his sin, surrender to God, and prayer for forgiveness. And really, I think what we see there is a picture of the gospel, right? What a picture of the gospel, that the gospel is not just for our salvation, but it's for our sanctification. Um, And put it another way, the truth of who God is and who we are is not just the ticket that gets us into heaven, right? It's the thing that we need every day of our life. 
David was struggling through a hard time in life. And when he brought his current situation to God, he was given a reminder of the truth of who God is that led him to understand his need for forgiveness, salvation, and for God's help to get him through the hard time. Um, I have a quote that is going to be on the screen um, that J.D. Greer, he's a pastor of Summit Life Church, and he often says it this way. He says, the gospel, however, is not just the diving board of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It is the pool itself. It's not only the way we begin in Christ, it is the way we grow in Christ. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, but it is the A to Z. All of the Christian life flows from the good news of what Jesus has done. So that's why growth in Christ is never going beyond the gospel, but going deeper into the gospel. I think that's what David is realizing. As he goes through this difficult time, he's realizing that he's still, when he, when he gets a glimpse of who God is, he realizes who he is in his need for forgiveness and that desire to be made right with him. Um, so that's easy to understand when we sin and mess up, right? But what about those hard times when it's not our sin that puts us in the situation we're in, right? I mentioned maybe it's grief, maybe it's somebody else's sin, maybe it's suffering. Maybe let me try to give you a couple examples. Um, how does the truth of the gospel help me in those kind of situations? A um, couple examples maybe that I can think of. First, uh, without understanding the forgiveness of God towards us, we won't be able to forgive those who have hurt us, who have sinned against us, right? We need the forgiveness of God in, for our sin because our sin deserves the death penalty, right? Lorena talked about that in some of the verses she shared. Without understanding the depth of God's forgiveness and mercy towards us, we won't be able to fully forgive and show mercy to those who have sinned against us. Okay, so the, the gospel in the, that kind of a situation. Um, another situation maybe, when you're going through suffering because of evil, maybe it's, it's just pure evil in the world has caused things and the consequences of that are making life hard, right? Maybe you can picture a, a brother and sister in a different country who's persecuted for their faith, who struggles to survive on a daily basis. Um, how does that help? Um, in situations like that, the gospel reminds us that Jesus has conquered the death and the grave, right? He didn't just die for your sin. He rose from the dead to conquer the power of death, to conquer the power of Satan. He's stronger. He's more powerful than Satan. Um, he's, through his death and resurrection, he has, he has conquered all that, and he's preparing a better place for us, and hears all of your prayers to him, right? We kind of see that a little bit at the end in verses 12 in 13. Okay, so we've seen this journey of David where his present situation produces a, a, a silence before God. Um, and as I went on, I kind of realized, I wonder how much of that silence that we were talking about in verses 1 to 3 are David's attempt to do things on his own power, right? It's like he, instead of turning to God in this situation, he's just like he's spinning his wheels, trying to do his own thing. Um, so he moves from silence before God to a plea for God for wisdom and then a prayer for forgiveness and salvation. And then the, we see the same sequence again in verses 9 to 13. Um, and I, 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 I credit um, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, by the way, for this kind of outline of this psalm. Um, silence, a plea, and then a prayer for salvation. 
Okay, so verse 9, we see a, another kind of aspect of that silent surrender. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. It is for you, for it is you who have done it. But this feels a little different than the previous verses, the previous 1 to 3, in my opinion. Um, whereas the first silence before God seems to be a result of David uh, is reacting to his current situation, this Verse 9 feels a little bit more like he's kind of learning from his experience, right? He's, it's more, it feels more like that, be still and know that I am God, you know, Psalm 4610, um, than just the, the frustration. He's, it's almost like he's, he's acknowledging, okay, this, this worked better last time when I did this. Um, so he, he, he's going before God in silence, expecting God to answer. In verses 10 to 11, we see a plea for mercy, Right? Uh, whereas four to six is a plea for an eternal perspective, here he's pleading for God's mercy. He's recognizing that the situation he's in is the consequences of his sin. And even though he's acknowledging that and he's asked God for forgiveness and salvation, he still is pleading, he's still looking for God to be merciful in the midst of it. And if you know anything about David's life, he had some pretty big public sins that resulted in some pretty serious consequences. Consequences. That if I was in his shoes, I would have been desperately pleading for God's mercy as well. Okay? Um, <clears throat> and this, it's God's discipline as well in verse 11, right? When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, um, God disciplines those he loves. You could go to Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. You could go to Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Um, but God's discipline, what we see and what David is acknowledging is that God's discipline, whether it's the consequence for our sin like David, or we see in Hebrews, sometimes discipline is God allowing us to go through suffering and hard times. Um, it's a sign of his fatherly love and care for us. Um, so one of my greatest fears, as I was thinking through this, one of my greatest fears as a father is that I would, um, my example as a father could be giving my girls an inaccurate picture of God as a heavenly father, Right? And inevitably, that's going to be true because I'm a sinful human being, right? I'm going to mess up. Um, unfortunately, with the world that we live in right now, uh, I would say this is happening in the majority of families. They have a poor example of a father, probably one of the biggest reasons we're in the struggles we're in. Um, and so we need to make sure, as I was thinking through this, don't let the shortcomings of your earthly father distort your view of your heavenly father, right? Um, he disciplined, his discipline is not done out of anger to hurt you or to harm you. He, he's not passively sitting up in the heavens somewhere, letting you figure out life on your own. He is active. If you are a son or a daughter of God, if you've accepted him as your savior, he is actively involved in your life because he cares for you. And that's why he's going to discipline you with consequences for sin. He's going to discipline you by allowing you to go through hard things because he wants what is best for you. So we see a plea for mercy in verses 10 and 11, and he finishes it off in verses 12 and 13, seeking salvation. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and be, and be an M no more. So this doesn't end with the hymn of praise like I talked about, um, or blessing. It's not the most cheerful psalm we've read this summer. 
Um, however, I think the Psalms of Lament that we, that we get to see and read in Psalms are an important part of worship in the Old Testament and an important part for us. They help us, they provide a depth to our faith um, that we don't maybe necessarily get in other times. It helps us see that even in hard and difficult times, God still loves us, God still provides for us, He still is merciful and faithful. Um, He's not a God who wants us to hide our pain, hide those hard things, hide those hard emotions. He wants us to bring those to Him, and He is powerful enough to be with us through the hard times and provide for us. And while it doesn't end with that hopeful praise, I think if you look back through the psalm, there is hope. And the hope is in the truth of who God is, right? We see that God is eternal. If this world was all there was, that would be hopeless, right? We need a God who is eternal, who is bigger than the physical world that we see. God is a just God who judges sin. And while that means he's gonna deal with my sin, it also means he's gonna deal with the sins of those who hurt others and hurt maybe hurt me. God is the one who can deliver. We serve a God who knows when it's best to walk with us through hard things and when it's best to deliver us from those hard things. God is compassionate. He can bring relief from those hard times. And God is sovereign. He's in control of David's days and David's life. And he is also in control of mine and yours as well. So don't shy away from these lament psalms, even though they're sometimes hard to read. Um, They provide great lessons for us in those difficult situations in life. Um, God can handle your junk, can handle your pain, he can handle your hard things. Um, So don't be afraid to bring it to him. And crying out to God in that way, don't hold it in. Um, For wisdom, mercy, salvation are the steps that God wants us to take that David shows us from Psalm 39. Thank you for listening to Bethesda Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can find us online by visiting our website at www.bethesdahuron.com or you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Bethesda Huron.